I'll give you just a few moments to turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, we'll be looking at uh, verses, nine, or sorry, verses 1 to 14 this morning. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 1 to 14. I'll give you a few moments to get there before we start our reading. In fact, let me just start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly God, I just thank you and I praise you for the precious gift of your word and for opportunity to open it together as your church to learn from you, to allow your spirit to guide our hearts and challenge us to be the church you want us to be. Lord, we pray that we be attentive to your speaking to us. We'd be willing to be challenged. We come to you with the attitude of worship, not only singing and adoring you, but humbling ourselves before you. That you speak to us and challenge us as your church, that we listen to you and that we follow in your ways and that you be honored and glorified through us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Now it's great to be, not only to be back with you, but to be continuing on now in our series through the book of Hebrews, which is talking about Christ overall. And we've been talking the last uh, several weeks in chapters uh, 7 to 9 about uh, Jesus being our greatest high priest and some of the significance of that uh, to the Hebrew people in which this letter was first written to, but also for us today in that uh, Jesus is the one who, who perfectly represents us uh, to God in, in, uh, and goes to God on our behalf as sin separates us from God. And uh, Jesus uh, represents us before God, but also Jesus uh, was the, the, the greatest sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice for all of our sin, uh, being God in flesh. We recognize that Jesus is much more than just a man, and we've come to see that, th especially throughout the book of Hebrews, uh, Jesus is God's Son, but also just God in flesh, all the power and the authority of God uh, in human form as He came and walked, uh, walked and talked and uh, taught of God's love and grace, but then offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins, recognizing that there's no amount of good or righteousness that we could live in that would bring us back into fellowship with God. It would take uh, a, a final sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice, and the, one, the only one who was spotless and blameless and sinless was Jesus himself, and so he offered himself as a sacrifice once and for all, bringing into fellowship with God all who will put their trust in Jesus. He is that final sacrifice, the final price uh, for our sin. Today we're going to have a look at Hebrews chapter 9, uh, especially in the, the, the first few verses up to, to chapter 14, really talking about the church. Now, those of you who know me much at all, you probably know that I love the church. I've always loved the church. It's just church has been part of my life. Now, part of it is that I've been raised in the church. Um, not literally, I didn't live in a church, but uh, in a church building or anything. But I, I've been raised, church has always been part of my life. Uh, my dad was a Baptist minister uh, in America. And part of his role was uh, we traveled to different Baptist churches. Uh, he kind of oversaw uh, some of the, uh, about 60 different Baptist churches in southeastern Kentucky there. And uh, so he would preach in one church Sunday morning, a different church a Sunday night, a different church on a Wednesday night. And we would kind of travel through these 60 different churches, sometimes There'll be 15 people in a, a little country church, and sometimes there'll be 2,000 people or so, 1,500, 2,000 people in a church. Uh, a lot of different styles of worship, a lot of different uh, 
a lot of different things, a lot of different uh, great churches there. But I've always just loved being part of the church. And so uh, it, it reson- the scriptures resonate with me that say, you know, I was glad when they said in me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I, I love coming to church. I love worshiping with you guys. You guys are pretty amazing people. And I love just hanging out with you and, and worshiping you. But I love being part of the church and seeing how the church worked together to show God's love and grace in the community. Because church has probably been part of most of my life. I mean, my mom says I was you know, in church every Sunday morning even before I was born. I was there every, every, every Sunday and, and every Sunday since. Uh, I love being part of it. But because it's been so much part of my life, I see church buildings everywhere we go. Now, not like I'm not imagining them or anything. Like I don't just go to the beach and see a church building there. But I do seem to recognize churches everywhere. And one of the things um, Lindy noticed early in our marriage, I didn't even realize, is that I noticed church buildings. I seem to be drawn to them. And we'll go to little country villages or big cities. And I, I love uh, church buildings. I love seeing them. Uh, I recognize even church buildings that aren't church buildings anymore. Have you ever seen those that maybe an art museum or a restaurant or someone's house and you go, I, re- I reckon that used to be a church. Yeah? That just, it looks like the form of church. And, and my wife's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, another church building. Uh, but I love some of the beauty. And some of you have been in uh, some of the older churches in Australia and maybe in some other countries in which you've seen uh, these beautiful cathedral ceilings and stained glass windows. And uh, I, I love... Uh, all of that stuff. I, I marvel at uh, the church traditions like the stained glass windows. And that, that used to be the way, or one of the ways in which uh, they, they told the story of Jesus to the community who would uh, be around the church. And we had come to marvel at the art and the, uh, the magnificence of, uh, of some of these buildings. And they would see the story of uh, the birth and the life and the, the salvation that came to us uh, through Jesus Christ uh, and in the, the beautiful story of these uh, stained glass windows. Um, I love uh, the symbol of the cross, which is, uh, adorns many church buildings across uh, the world. And there's something to me, you know, it's, it's more of a personal thing, but uh, I love uh, just every once in a while just standing and, and looking at a cross. Now, I know that this is just a symbol of things, and, and what was to, to the Romans a symbol of death is to us as Christians a symbol of life and hope and freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And there's something very humbling about being a, a sinful, fallen person and, and standing in front of a, a cross and recognizing what Christ has done for us. That there's nothing we could have done to buy our salvation. There's nothing we could have done to be made right with God. But Jesus, the God, this indescribable God, this God with all power and authority, He humbled himself to death, even the death on the cross, that we might have life. Something beautiful in that, isn't there? Something beautiful about just that that symbolism of the cross. One thing I have learned through my life in the church is that as as important as these things are to me and as, as much as I recognize church buildings and I love the cross and I love the steeples and I love all this kind of stuff, the church is not about a building. It's not even about the cross or stained glass windows or any of these things that that symbolize what it's all about. The church isn't reliant on sacred traditions or practices. It's much, much bigger than that. And so join with me as we look in um, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1 to 10, as it talks some about this to the Hebrew people. 
bringing in some of their traditions and practices. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning verse 1, says this. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship. Sorry, the, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. And in his first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This covenant contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that it budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubims of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry out their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that had, they had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing, sorry, the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as this first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They were only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Now let me just stop there for just a moment. To, to talk about some things that which were traditions and practices which were critical to the Hebrew people and to their, their worship. One of those, as we described, was the, the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was important in its design, and its, uh, they would have the burnt offerings on the outside of, uh, of the temple, and it's the, uh, the priests would, would offer uh, and then would able to, to enter into uh, the holy place. And uh, then uh, the holy place in which uh, the priest would offer sacrifices for uh, some of the forgiveness of the people, the, uh, they, they would stay there and, uh, and do that and try to represent that they were close to the presence of God because the presence of God was believed in the Hebrew tradition to be inside the most holy place, which is that second curtain or second small room, uh, or some scriptures would call that uh, the, the holy of holies or the most holy place. That's where the, the presence of God was through the form of uh, this Ark of the Covenant. And only the high priest could enter that Holy of Holies or the most holy place and only once a year because it represented God's presence. He was going into God's presence. The, the other priest could get close to God's presence, but there was a, a curtain there uh, that would keep them outside of that. And the high priest once a year would offer sacrifices for himself uh, to, to forgive his own sins that he, he did out of ignorance. And then uh, inside for the, the, the sins of the people, asking God's forgiveness and pleading for God's direction and mercy. And it's important to note that, all although uh, a, a bit strange to us maybe, these traditions were of the utmost importance to the Hebrew people in which this letter was written. Because before Jesus, this is how it was done for hundreds and hundreds of years. This is how people were made right before God, was this system of 
sacrifice and forgiveness. A system of the priests, all from the tribe of Levi, all from the family of Aaron, that first priest, whose staff was in the Ark of the Covenant. These priests would offer sacrifices of, of, of goats and, and rams and sheep to try to appease God and, and, and ask forgiveness. And so that sin needed to be covered with the blood. But that was only a temporary thing, and so this had to be done over and over and over. And every year the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. A humbling thing. A frightening thing for many people. Because they knew of this God's power. They knew of His authority. And no one had a relationship so I think with God, they, they didn't have access to God because only these priests did this. It was a, a sacrificial system in which they had to offer these sacrifices to forgive the sins of the people or in order for God to forgive the sins of the people. And likewise, this Ark of the Covenant was important. Now, many of you may think that you know what the, the Ark of the Covenant looks like uh, because you've seen an Indiana Jones movie in the past. And uh, maybe you, you're familiar with this and you think... Um, I think you said the next slide there. Uh, they, they would think that the Ark of the Covenant looks something like this because of uh, the biblical description. Uh, no one's quite sure uh, what the Ark of the Covenant looks like. But um, all of that in the movies, of course, was, was fake. But the, the Ark itself was real and a critical part of uh, the Hebrew tradition and, and, and practice of worship. It was inside the most holy place of the Holy of Holies and was a box essentially covered in gold with two angels on the top uh, guarding the, uh, the contents of the box, so to speak. And inside the box, Hebrew says, were pieces of, of manna, a bowl of manna representing God's provision for the people as he provided for them in the desert. Uh, for 40 years wandering around, he gave them food in the way of manna each and every day providing for them. There was the staff of Aaron, uh, this first high priest uh, representing God's presence among the people and that he was there to, to lead them and to guide them. And also there was the stone tablets, the, the Ten Commandments, but the original version. This is the tablets that, that God adds the Ten Commandments into. Uh, these tablets were inside the Ark of the Covenant representing God's promises and God's guidance and, and instruction for the people. And so this Ark was very significant to the Hebrew people. In fact, was so sacred that they believe God was with them and, and that they were okay and that they were safe as long as the Ark of the Covenant was in their possession, that God was with them. And it was the only way that they knew of, of going to God, of asking for forgiveness, of being restored after the sin had separated them because the high priest would go in once a year and offer these sacrifices to, to make the people back right with God. But what we want to see from the Scriptures today is that Jesus changed all of that. Jesus changed all of those traditions and in fact did away with that whole need for the tabernacle, that whole need of sacrifices and that, that whole system. Look with me in verses 11 to 14. It says this. So that's talking about the Ark of the Covenant and, and the, the, the sacrificial uh, system that they've been doing, these washings, these external regulations in verse 10, applying to that, that time and order. And verse 11 says, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, 
He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that's not made with human hands. That is to say, it's not part of this creation. He did not enter by the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonial unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that leads to death so that we may serve the living God? Isn't that a great... The last two verses especially, the blood of the goats and bulls and ashes of heifer, it's sprinkled sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, they sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. But how much more then will the blood of Jesus Christ, who whom the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, will cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death, so that we might serve the living God. Now, what does all this mean for us? It means Christ is over all. Christ is more powerful than anything. I know this is a bit of a cheesy diagram here for, for Christ overall, and the body of Jesus hovering over the church, but it is significant to say that this is part of the message of Hebrews chapter 9, is that that system, that sacrificial system that had been set up from the priests, set by God as the way that they should uh, they should go through things. It, it had been become such tradition that, that they would not ever imagine anything else. This is how you get forgiven of your sins. This is how you have, uh, this is how you, you follow God's guidance and direction is by what is brought to you by the priest. It is only through this sort of system of temporary sacrifices that you can be made right with God. And Jesus radically changed all that in that he himself, God in flesh, became the sacrifice for sins once and for all to cover the sins of every priest, to cover the sins of every person that's ever lived so that once and for all anyone who trusts in him can have life and hope and all of a sudden this system of traditions and practices wasn't what the church was all about. It was a relationship with Jesus. And all of a sudden you've got Jesus represented as overall he is the one with all power and all authority. And all the churches of the area of the early church, all the churches around the world today are under him. He is the head of the church. He is the one who has bought our, our freedom. He is the one who has paid for our salvation. God, through Jesus Christ, allows us to have fellowship with him. Forgiveness from God and guidance from God is, is all possible, free to all. No longer are we tied down to certain religious practices, but we can have a relationship with God. Now, this is something that was quite radical to these Hebrew people. They had no idea what that relationship with God was all about. Now, we know about it every day, don't we? We walk with Him and we talk with Him. Jesus is here with us. God is here with us every single day. We see him in the sunrise. We see him in, in the, the waves at the beach. We, 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 we know of God's presence in the laughter of children in the shops or in the sight of uh, a, a pregnant mother. 
We see the, the beauty of creation. And we are in awe of the God in which we serve. We know of His guidance. We know of His love, His grace, because He shows it to us every single day. But the Hebrew people didn't know about that relationship with God because they had, it was all about the, the practices of the church and this sort of tradition, this tabernacle worship that they were bound to. But all of this was done away with. There were no more tabernacles after Jesus. There was no more need to. There was no more sacrifices and, and ritual services in the early Christian church because there was no more need for this after Jesus. He himself was that sacrifice. That, that annual sacrifice wasn't needed anymore. Jesus paid the price once and for all. So what does that mean for us? It means God loves you so much that he knew, he knew that your sin separated you from God. He, know, he knows that your sin will separate you from him. And there's no way we could be made in fellowship with him again without a perfect sacrifice. And Jesus, God's son, God in flesh, came to bring us back to God. This time, once and for all, not a, a priestly sacrifice, not a high priest sacrifice. that would be once a year he's got to do this. Jesus was perfect, sinless. The high priest, as good of people as they were, they still had to offer sacrifices for their own sins first and then go in and offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. Jesus was sinless, was spotless, the pure lamb, God himself that had the power and authority over death, hell, and the grave. And he paid the price for all of our sins. So any who trust in him, and God raised him from the dead, so any who trust in him can have life. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. That's a lot of hope, isn't it? That's a lot to celebrate as a church. The life and, the, and the, the hope, the peace that we have because of Jesus Christ. He has paid that price. We're no longer tied to those traditions and practices. We're no longer, that's no longer essential. It's important and it's wonderful, but it's no longer essential. Jesus is who we follow. He is our Lord. He has paid the price for us. So what does that mean for us as a church? It simply means that we, we are the church. As much as I love those beautiful stained glass windows and uh, high ceilings and magnificent buildings that point to God, our extravagant God, it's our lives. It's our lives that are meant to show people of God. It's, it's our lives that are meant to point people to Jesus Christ. Eternal, verse 12 says, e eternal redemption is really available to, to any who ask. It's in Christ. He has paid the price. In verse 13, it says, it talks about these religious traditions and, and practices. They left people ceremonially clean. They were clean on the outside. They had followed the letter of the law. But in Christ, we are completely new. We are satisfied once and for all that that debt of sin is satisfied. We are completely justified, just as if we had never sinned completely purified in Him, and He continually, continually restores us, continually brings about our salvation. You know, we're continually in, in Christ being sanctified and being made more like Him as we learn to trust Him and we learn more of His ways. And verse 14 says, a key for the church, it says, He has done all of this 
And He has bought our salvation and He has made us clean and pure in Him, sanctified us for the purpose, verse 14 says, so that we may serve the living God. So not serve Him. Now I've said several times from here, a definition I always heard of, heard of a Baptist church growing up is that a church is a body of baptized believers bought by the blood and bound by the Bible. And I've always remembered that because I think the church isn't about certain buildings as much as I love them. It's about the people who are baptized in uh, the Holy Spirit, believing in Christ Jesus, bought by His blood and bound by His Word. It's not about the practices. It's not about the old phrase you hear around churches. Uh, we've always done it that way. We're not tied down to any sort of religious rules. We are free in Christ. Now, this is quite radical even for the church today in that many other religions are trapped in traditions and rituals. Buddhism is trapped in different traditions and rituals. They have to, to worship and do things in, in certain ways. Islam, it's all about religion. It's all about traditions and practices. It's not about any sort of relationship with God at all. In fact, you can't have any relationship with God because He is distant and, and too great and powerful for us. It's all about following the traditions and practices of the church. Jesus, in Christianity, what God has done for us through, through Jesus, He has paid the price for us once and for all. It's not about how we do things in our, our worship services. It's not about practices of the church. It's all about a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship with God that we can have personally. There's no more need for this Oh, you can go in the holy place, but you can't go into the holy of holies or the most holy place. That's only for the high priest. And only he can go in there once a year. All of that is done away with. In fact, the Bible says a great story. When, when Jesus was crucified, at the moment of his death on the cross, the veil in the temple, which divided that holy place from the most holy place, was torn from top to bottom, was open. And, and access was made for all people to go into the, the very presence of God. I think that's quite significant. It's not about traditions or practices of the church. It's about being the church, following Jesus Christ as our Savior and honoring Him with our lives, surrendering to Him and so that the world can see Christ in us. I'll leave you with a couple old hymns that I've loved all of my life. One is, is uh, How Firm a Foundation, which is from back in 1787. It says, How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, I'm sorry, that soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. The other is one, Almost 100 years later, in 1866, the church is one foundation. And many of you know this as well. It says, the church is one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Mid toil and tribulation and turmoil of her war, she waits the consummation of peace forevermore. To with the vision, to with the vision glorious, her longing eyes are blessed. 
and the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. Yet she on earth hath union with God, the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those who rest is one. O happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we like them, the meek and lowly, may live eternally. You often hear me call you church and say, church, this is what we're meant to do. We're my church family. And I'm so honored to have you guys as part of that church family. The church is much more than just the building, as great as it is. We're blessed with a great building. We're blessed with great property and, and facilities. The church is more than just any one of our beautiful buildings. It's about you and me and what Christ has done for us. It's about us surrendering to him. The church is all about Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. He is the one we are to follow. The building is great, but nothing compared to our great God. You are the church. Each of you who trust in Jesus all across our community, our state, our nation, our world. We are family because of Jesus Christ. We are forgiven because of Jesus. We are free because of Jesus. The church is not the building. Its foundation is not mere mortar and bricks which will come and will go and someday will fade away. This church is built on Jesus Christ, the God of creation, Lord over all, our eternal Savior and Lord. Let us just pray. God, I just thank you and I praise you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, for your church. And that you allow us, Lord, to have a relationship with you, fellowship with you each and every day. We no longer need any system of priests to come to you and ask forgiveness for our sins. God, you know our hearts. You know our words, even when they're still afar off, before they're formed on our tongue. You know us completely, Lord. And we can come directly to you for forgiveness. We can come directly to you for guidance. For you, through Jesus Christ, that paid the price for our sins. Lord, thank you. For there's no amount of good we could have done to be brought in fellowship with you. Thank you that you paid that price for us. Help us, Lord, to trust you. If there are those out here today who have never put their trust in you, who have never received that salvation, who have never trusted you as their Lord, Lord, we just pray that they just give their lives to you today. You promise that anyone who calls on your name will be saved. Anyone who puts their trust in you and recognizes that you were the one who gave your life on the cross for them, who paid the price, and, and you raised Jesus from the dead, and they can be saved. And Lord, for our church, help us to trust you. In the way we work together, in all the ministries and programs, Lord, help us to trust you. In the way that we reach out in the community and try to live out your love and grace, help us to trust you. In the way we work alongside other churches in our community, help us to trust you and recognize that the church is not about us and, and what we want. The church is not about our practices and traditions. The church is not about the facilities or the buildings. The church is about you. Help us, Lord, to trust you and to follow you and to honor you as your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.